Hey, welcome back, everybody. We have another conversation that centers on politics. This time, it's about our thoughts and feelings around the inauguration of Joe Biden. So I hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening. What were your some of your thoughts and feelings about the inauguration of Joe Biden? Joy. I mean, the first thing I felt was joy. I mean, uh, from deep inside myself, I don't use that very often. I'm not that type of person, but I have to say that as I watched, I just felt joy the whole morning. Seeing Kamala Harris up there as a as a woman of color and uh, a woman of Indian descent, um, I mean, that to me was almost, uh, it was just so hopeful for so many people that, uh, I mean, I've been reading Barack Obama's uh, biography and uh, in there he talks about the the main reason he ran for president outside of wanting the power and the influence and all of that which he admitted to was so that children in minority um, environments and children who were uh, not the ones who were always up front and uh, given all of the opportunities could see that what was possible with a, a black president and I felt that way about young women, my granddaughters, for example, that they can now look and say, this is just, this is possible for a woman, and then a woman of color at that. So, I mean, that alone was, and to watch my wife, Sally, crying while she was watching Kamala Harris uh, give her inauguration vows was touching to me, I mean, moving to me. I, I was shocked by it, quite frankly, because that's not who Sally is. So, I mean, things were happening internally to us as a couple and as the individuals as we were watching this. So, and I just felt like the whole mood there compared to four years ago when uh, Trump um, was uh, the inauguration of Trump Maybe Trump supporters felt the way I felt today, so I can't speak for that, but it just felt different. It felt lighter. It felt um, like there was uh, we could breathe and uh, again. And for four years, you you just didn't have to wake up every morning wondering what our president did or said or tweeted today that was going to cause harm to somebody. <laughs> and so... Uh, I just have to say that, for me, uh, that the word, only word I can that describes it is I felt joyful. I just felt uh, a sense of lightness, a relief. Oh my God! It's it's is it over? Is it really over? These four years are they are they over? And uh, they are, and it takes a while to sink in. And and as everybody said, including Joe Biden. There's some tough days ahead for all of us, for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, for sure, um, because they still have to deal with a uh, party, the Republican Party, uh, that's um, whole reason for existing (laughs) is to make sure that the other party doesn't get any wins. Mm -hmm. And um, I just think that's a sad thing, but they're going to have to face that 
I just hope for some movement there to see that we have to work together. I don't I don't believe it'll happen. No. But I hope for it. One of the things I'm struggling with with the Republican Party and Republicans and people Trumpers, I don't know if these are even the same people anymore, Republicans and people who who love Trump. I think that's something we're going to see going forward. What's the future of the, of the Republican Party? But I'm going to need to see some proof if I'm going to have any hope or have any trust uh, of Republicans. And it's going to have to go beyond some really careful rhetoric about unity. You know, I I don't want to hear unity come out of the mouths of any Republicans ever, period. I want them to show me that they believe in unity and they believe in things like truth um, and they believe in the rights of all peoples. You know, I, I'm just going to need proof of that because they have so abandoned that for at least five years, right? Yeah, in the process of selecting Trump and then, then in these four years, I think it goes back much further if you think about Republican media I think it goes back to the the Clinton presidency, which had its own problems, obviously. But that war against the other party, that war against truth, that win at any cost, tear down everything on the other side, that started in the Clinton years. Some of it, I mean, obviously there was criticism that was well-deserved. Clinton should have been removed from office. That should have happened. In hindsight, it... It just looks worse every year. Such an abuse of power, this young woman, uh, Lewinsky, Monica Lewinsky, so mis- I mean, mistreated terribly by the Clintons, by the Clinton administration, by the government period, by the media. Just awful what happened to her. She was, I don't know how old she was, 20s, mm-hmm. something like that. Mm-hmm. The example should have been set there. He should have been removed from office. I don't think there's any question in, in that in looking back just that we let that happen that that she was vilified in all of that it's just sick um but at the time we weren't sure it was sick and yet republicans were really really upset by it right and they were they were correct to be you know and then now just to think that they're the party of trump now mm-hmm. it's 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 inconceivable yeah honestly it's inconceivable but that that effort to discredit in any way possible the other side and anything the other side wants on the on behalf of the mainly i would say and still i think now it's almost exclusively republicans that do this meaning any argument is fine it doesn't have to be in good faith the arguments i like to think there was a time when both sides were arguing in good faith bringing forth it's not just bringing forth facts. It's also saying, I'm not going to make an argument that I know I don't even believe in, but that I think I might be able to convince people of that would benefit me. That's part of the bad faith, right? Right. It's both of those things that happens now in the Republican Party. I mean, I, I remember after the, the J- January 6th riots, Josh Hawley from Missouri, he's a fresh, not a freshman, but he's a first-term senator and he was along with ted cruz and some other nobodies frankly in the senate they were the ones leading this i don't even know what to call it this charge to try and undercut uh, election results 
primarily trying to undercut election results as they pertain to heavily urban districts with a high percentage of African-Americans, which needs to be acknowledged that those were the votes they, they, they were suspicious of. After this all happened, he still voted or, or let, let argumentation go forward because you need a senator and you need a House member um, to object to certifying the results of a state. And he was willing to do that even after what happened with the riot. And so they did it with Arizona before. And then the riot happened and he, he still did it with Pennsylvania. And then later that day he said this, just as an example of bad faith. He said, I wasn't going to let the mob silence me. Think of how ridiculous that is. Dude, the mob and you were in total agreement. The mob came there in support. You raised your fist to the mob before you went into that chamber, right? But he knows that enough people who want to agree with him will hear that and say, yeah, that's right. We can't let them people boss us around. You know, it, it's, and he knows it's a ridiculous argument. It's this bad faith stuff. So I suppose that's kind of a good introduction to my feelings on that day. What I was surprised was that I felt a lot of anger on the day. I felt a lot of relief and joy, but it was mixed with a lot of anger. And it was anger that the Republican Party and Republicans around the country put us through this. And I don't even have much at Donald Trump. I, I can't say I have a lot of, I don't like Donald Trump at all. Um, I can't think of anybody else that I ever think about whom I despise more than him. But over the years, I've just realized he's incapable of honesty, of morality. He's just proven that over and over, exhaustingly so. You just, just when you thought it couldn't get worse, it always would. And so eventually I realized, like, there's no hope for Donald Trump to change his ways and become a president, a competent president or a decent person. It would be wonderful if he did. If he had, it'd be wonderful if going forward he did. But I, I lost hope in that. But I continued, I think, to hold out hope for two things. Republicans in Congress and for Republican voters, right? My fellow Americans. And outside of Mitt Romney, I think, who could we name that really stepped up and, and said hard things or took a hard vote? Mitt Romney voted to have Trump removed from office in the first impeachment hearings. That was a, I think, the right vote, but it was also, for him, it was brave. It was difficult to do, and he did it, and nobody else did. And they just enabled him that whole time. And then we come to this second election um, with Joe Biden, so you don't have really that baggage of the Clintons that we heard about that was just too much for so many people, right? And it wasn't 
Bernie Sanders, the socialist, or Elizabeth Warren, the social, all these scary people, right, that they couldn't possibly vote for. You know, Repo- Democrats listened and said, okay, we'll give you our, most, our safest, most centrist candidate <laughs> we can possibly come up with, this gentle old man, right, who, look back at his voting record, he was for the big crime bill that has been disastrous for so many people, put, put people in jail for decades for small offenses. He was the leader on that bill, right? But th- that's Joe Biden. Centrist, has been a centrist most of his career and somewhat of a chameleon even, you could say. I think some of that's to his credit. I, I did like Bernie Sanders and I appreciate his consistency over the years, but I also appreciate the fact that Joe Biden changes with the times, right? Like yeah. he's more out there on racial justice certainly than he was probably even in the Obama years. My guess is gay marriage was not a thing he was comfortable with 15 years ago. And now he is. I mean, it's to his credit that he's willing to rethink things and evolve. But anyways, we gave you the safest person we could find, really, who was willing to run. And still, he bar- he barely won. I remember those days... The, the election day and then the day after and the day after just fretting watching you know these results coming in and starting to feel like okay Michigan's looking better okay Pennsylvania's looking better it was it was bittersweet the victory I remember when they called it on Saturday the networks called it on that Saturday I think maybe it was similar to what I felt on inauguration day it was just bittersweet I was like this should have been a landslide after, you know, in 2016, you could say, well, let's see how he does. But then we saw how he did. I can't get my head around it still to this day. So I was, I had a lot of anger. There was part, I just wanted to stick it to those Trump. I see those Trump flags. I wanted to rip them down. These Trump flags that are still up. That's how I felt. You know, I wanted to just ride around with a Biden sign and just yell at people and be like, it's over, you jerks, that you did this to us. But thank God it's over. And I don't know. I was mad. And I, I still am kind of mad when I see, I mean, around here, we still got Trump flags up. Yeah, I know. Not a few. More than a few. Yeah, I know. And I, I just, I can't believe it. I really can't. I can't believe it. So it was a, it, so it was a mix for me and and still is i think that way for me i just i can't fathom somebody loving and admiring donald trump i can't fathom it i can't i've tried to understand tried to listen i mean i i read and listen to more things about politics than is healthy and it just i've never been able to come around to saying okay i understand why you like him it just hasn't worked for me. So let's maybe then turn to the actual inauguration, sort of the content of it, and maybe some of the some of the visual stuff that you thought was important. What stood out to you? Yeah, I'm going to talk about the visuals because that's that's more me, and you can you can do the content because that's kind of more you. Is well, one of the 
first visuals that I noticed was the absence of Donald Trump and Melania and the um, and the presence again of Hillary Clinton. And uh, I just remembered back to four years ago when Hillary lost and the difference in the way she handled her loss and the character you could see in there. So when people say to me now, well, how could we? We didn't have a choice. We held our nose. I'm like, you did have a choice. You had a better choice. Hillary Clinton was a better choice. And we we see that now through the the way this ended. I mean, they both, Hillary and Trump, failed. They lost. They lost. And that's hard. I I can't imagine how hard that must be to lose something that big on that kind of a national stage. I've lost, too. We've all lost. And when you lose, that's when true character comes out. Mm -hmm. If you want to know a person's character, look at what they do when they fail. Mm -hmm. And so let's look at that. That was a visual for me. There's Hillary again, just like she was four years ago at Trump's inauguration. She conceded when she lost. She gave a gracious concession speak, wishing him well, Mm -hmm. offering to help in any way she could. And she showed up at his inauguration. How hard that must have been for her to show up at that inauguration. But she was a big girl. That's right. And she showed up. Trump? None of the above. He lost. Fair election. Everything points to it. Everything. Most Republicans are even now acknowledging that. The lawsuits didn't win a one. Maybe maybe one small one somewhere, as I recall. He won one, but it was inconsequential entirely. So, yeah. So, and he can't admit it. He can't concede he can't be gracious. Now, he, he wrote a letter, uh, Biden said, that was generous. We'll, hopefully we get to hear what that is. That would be great for the American people to hear generosity coming from Donald Trump to someone other than someone he likes or someone who benefits him. And maybe he thinks being generous to Joe Biden right now will benefit him. So that, that, that visual was there for me, that Hillary was there again. And what that says about who she is is in her character. And then Amy Klobuchar, uh, I thought, again, set the right mood. Yeah, senator from Minnesota. Senator from Minnesota. Democrat. Yep, Democrat. I just think she, 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 she could tell how happy she was. And not in a smug way, I would beat you. I didn't feel that way to me. It felt more like this is the way it should feel. Mm-hmm. This is the way it should feel for all Americans, that we, we feel safe, at least, with this guy. Maybe he wasn't our guy, but we feel safe with him. We're not ashamed to have him as our president, you know? We should feel that way no matter who the president is. Yeah. And I think for the most part, with the exception of Clinton after the Lewinsky thing, I did feel that way. I mean, I had some some struggles with, with George W. because, yeah. you know, we're some stuff that, that we ought to f- worry about, right? Yeah, I think Iraq war and torture were things that were legitimately mistaken. So the visual of her and her saying of her counterpart, Roy Blunt, a Republican, that he was her friend. And uh, I thought 
the visual of um, uh, Kamala and Doug, um, Kamala Harris and her husband Doug, walking down the steps with the Pences and the laughter that they shared. Right, that was after the ceremony, after right? After the ceremony. Yeah. And I, at first I was like, what are you laughing about? Why are you laughing with them? Mm-hmm. Why? Are you, what are you showing any love towards that man at all? Mm-hmm. And then I thought, no, that's it. Yeah. That's right. That's what we need to see. We need to see that. And Joe Biden fist-pumping someone in the media. I mean, holy cow. How refreshing was that? Um, his whole family walking together. The big Bible that he put his hand on uh, with the cross on it. And uh, there... The, well, because partially, you know Biden is a Christian man. And you know Trump is not. That's just a fact. I mean, if that's not a fact, I don't know. You know, if that's not a fact in, in, in the realm of things that are not scientific facts, right? I don't know what is. Well, and yet yeah. we had to live through this idea that maybe Trump maybe Trump converted real late during the campaign or something. That stuff. Meanwhile, yeah. Biden goes to church faithfully yeah. and is... By all accounts, a kind and decent man. So, yeah, yeah when you had that Bible there, it didn't feel, it didn't feel fake. It didn't feel hypocritical. Yeah. Did it? And no. well, I mean, it, it, you couldn't help but think back when Trump was standing in front of the church, awkwardly holding that Bible upside down. <laughs> I mean, you had to remember. I mean, you know, yeah. talk about visuals. But you know, um, and I, I saw when Judge Roberts came up and took his mask off and his smile and it was genuine Mm. and um, again it wasn't one of triumphalism you know because why would it be he's (laughs) he's a conservative judge it was I respect this man and um, yeah and and I noticed that Clarence Thomas didn't come I didn't miss that our most conservative report Republican appointee mm-hmm. of the justice he didn't show up, which again it shows that a child maybe he had a good excuse. Were the other justices yep. there? The other justices okay. were I there. I didn't pay attention to that. So I'm just saying mm-hmm. that. I mean, his wife is a very partisan Republican. Oh, she's Clarence terrible. Thomas. Yeah, yeah, she's Jenny. Terrible. I think her name is Jenny Thomas. So anyway, those were some of the visuals. I appreciated Mike Pence showing up. I got to say the choices he made. I, I feel sorry for that guy, although it's hard. Yeah, but I do. I think this man realizes now. I'm guessing. I can't imagine that he doesn't feel the weight of the four years and what history's going to say about Trump, but what history's going to say about him, Oof. what his children and grandchildren mm-hmm. are going to read about Mike Pence and the images they're going to see of Mike Pence, basically praising Donald Trump on cue. That's right. Smiling at Donald Trump as if he worshipped him. Mm -hmm. And those images are going to be there for posterity. His children and grandchildren are going to see them. You know historians in history classes. I mean, they're going to know this. They're going to also know him as their father and grandfather and expect that they're going to know he's a better man than that. Yeah, I hope so. I do. But so, again, I noticed the celebrity status of Barack Obama. 
how everybody just was drawn to him like moths to a flame because he's a superstar. Yeah, he's a phenom. He's a fun phenom, and rightfully so. And Michelle as well, frankly. And Michelle as well. And he's another man who, good Christian man, who the evangelical Christian world couldn't embrace, couldn't nod to for his morality, for his uh, faithfulness uh, throughout all of his life and his marriage. And, you know, so the, these were visuals. His hopefulness. Think about the hopefulness of Barack Obama. It almost seems, it just seems unusual, right? This African-American man who struggled as all black men do in this country because of systemic racism, regardless even of that, of the fact that he's black, he is just one of those hopeful people, you know? Not not in a Pollyannish way, but he just is. He does it in the... I listened to the beginning of his book, too, and he's there, you yeah. know? He's a hopeful yeah. man, and you would think there would yep. be something attractive about that for a Christian community. But again, they were... Most were in that stance of he's the enemy, which was a real shame. Well, here's a, here's a statistic that uh, I read just recently. Um, four years ago, um, 20% of... Um, the uh, evangelical Christian community in the Republican Party believed that uh, Barack Obama was a Muslim. Yeah, I know. Four years later, 29% believe it. Yeah. So um, it's, uh, again, that to me is, I don't know if that's uh, just uh, people being stubborn or being racist or being... uh, xenophobic or being just uh, ignorant i'm not quite sure i don't know Uh, not curious not but 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 so the other visual and then i'll I'll let you talk uh, about content the other visual was george bush i mean uh, george w uh, for when we were in jerusalem man we we had little or no respect for george bush because they didn't even the israelis didn't really they they would joke about when we would go through the checkpoints with Israeli soldiers they used to pat their pockets said George Bush right here George Bush right here and they would pat their pockets and smile at us George Bush right here George Bush right here that was Israeli soldiers <laughs> just mean, so, meaning he does whatever we need him yeah, to he's, like he's, he's in, in our, our pocket yeah in our pocket he's in our pocket and I mean, I heard that all the time there. Okay, you know, and um, and um, I mean, that was a constant. So I mean, it was hard, but I liked him. He again, I, I joke and say, he, if he drank, I'd uh, I, he'd be the kind of guy I would enjoy having a beer with. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would. I think he's just a decent, nice guy. I really do. I and think. I think he got caught up with some really bad people. He did, and he listened to some really bad counsel, and he regrets it. I think. But I can't know that, but I think mm-hmm. his friendship with Michelle Obama. But the visual was his eyes when he came in. And maybe I'm just imagining things, but oh, my God, he was his eyes were just a light. He was so happy to to be there to be with Joe Biden and the Obamas. Yeah. And uh, I just think that to me was another. I think. It's just we're gonna no matter we're gonna have some hard years, but 
God, they, they're going to be more hopeful. And Oh, I, I'm sorry. One last visual was um, seeing Benjamin Franklin's picture behind the oval, uh, behind the desk in the oval office. Oh, and I think it's in front because behind his windows. Oh, sorry. You know what? Yeah, he's looking at it yeah. as he sits on the Resolute yeah, desk. Yeah, it's, it's to his... You can see it. He's sitting at the desk, and it's to the viewer's right. Okay. Is Benjamin Franklin picture. Well, what picture was there before? Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson. The other... Oh, I'm thinking of FDR. FDR straight across yeah, from him. Sorry. No, Frank, he put Benjamin Franklin. And you know why he put Benjamin Franklin? Um... I I read it. I read something. Well, I didn't come up with it. It was a nod to science. That's right. That I was. I couldn't remember, but that's right. So I mean, those are the kind of things. But I'm a visual person, as you know. So I just saw lots of things that. And oh my God, that Thought, it's so that, thoughtful, right? That poet to be like, I'm going to put Benjamin Franklin here as yeah. a nod to science yep. after we went through four or five years yep. of destructively and tragically not being willing to listen to science in the moment it was most needed. And belittling it. Yeah. Belittling science, again, as elitist, as uh, people with agenda, I mean, climate change, all of that. Right. I mean, all right. of this stuff is tied together with... It is. And again, it's this, uh, what I run into out in the church world about the Bible. And like, you know, no matter what, the fact that uh, the earth is now round and round and science proved that and what we know about uh, homosexuality and sexual identity and you know what we know about a whole host of things that we didn't know before global and warming glo- right? yeah, global, global climate change yeah the, you know the 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 age of the earth sure. i mean all of these kind of things and you still have people yeah who uh will fight that because they gotta, the Bible's got to be right about everything, and it's not right about everything. And it's, you know, so this anti-science thing is just yeah, and it, and it it becomes bigger. It's anti-intellectualism, right? Yeah, it's anti-intellectual, anti-curiosity. In my opinion, all of this is anti-curiosity. I like curious people. Mm-hmm. You know, one of my strengths is I'm curious about things. Yeah. You know, and I, that's, I want to grow that in my grandchildren yeah curiosity (laughs) you know you know ask questions wonder about things you know that sort of thing and so so i'm 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 you know anyway that's that's what i have to say about visuals so throw it back to you i'm trying to think if there were i i did i didn't watch trump's inauguration four years ago so i can't speak to that inauguration. I did go back and watch some of the prayers just for some um, comparison's sake. And there were some interesting comparisons there, but I didn't watch. And I read about the speech, you know, this American carnage. It was real dark. It was very dark. And it, there's no disagreement about that, that was, that was a dark was, inauguration. It was some weird shit. Yeah, somebody said that. Yeah, somebody. Somebody said that. There's no doubt that this one, for us, I guess just felt as you said light optimistic there was some optimism there it was all laced with a sense of we have we have a grave and difficult task ahead of us thankfully it was laced with that the joe biden's speech 
was laced with that. I thought it was a really, really good inauguration speech. It wasn't particularly long, 20 minutes. That's not very long. Good for him, right? As people who've done sermons and gone too long, we know how easy <laughs> that is. And this is a big, it's a big deal doing inauguration. I mean, yeah. it's nothing compared to a Sunday, no. you know, Sunday sermon. This is huge. This is for posterity. Yeah. And uh, he went 20 minutes. I, uh, I remembered that he's someone, and I didn't know this until he ran just now, that he was somebody who dealt with a stutter when he was a young man. I didn't know that until this presidential run. Did you know that earlier? No. I don't know. Maybe he just didn't, maybe he kept it hidden. I don't know. You remember that at the convention, mm-hmm. he had that boy who stutters yeah. introduce him? Yeah. That's unbelievable. That man. boy um, also um, did something at one of the inauguration events I don't, or at the prayer meeting. Okay, okay. Um, the next day. I mean, I hate the, uh, to say it, but these those are the types of things that I frankly cannot imagine happening in a Republican convention. And I hate to, I don't want to be constantly doing this, but it, these are just the things that are in, that I, that I feel when I see them. I just think this is so good. This is so decent. This is so right. And did this you know is, the poet has a, had a speech defect too? I know the, I did. heard somebody say that. She I couldn't, couldn't believe it. She, up until college years, she couldn't say her R's. And she's only 22, so yeah. college years were like last year, the year before <laughs> yeah, that. That's right. Right? She couldn't I think say 22. She couldn't say her R's. Oh, I mean, and, and she looked not the least bit nervous, to be honest. Oh, she, she looked was, comfortable up there. I was, was, I was amazed. I thought she was a show stealer, man. She was amazing. For me, her, she, okay, I thought Biden did really well. Yeah. And let me highlight one thing that he said. Yeah. There was only a few times, and this happens, and it's inevitable in a inauguration speech. It's inevitable in a State of the Union where I just think you get, I don't know what to call it, triumphalism, American right. exceptionalism. Right, 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 right. It right, just gets right. laid on too thick for yeah, me. Yeah, I remember that too. Um, and cause, because for me, it's that type of thinking that has... Um, kept us from really wrestling with our past and with our current problems. Yeah. And we just can't do that anymore, in my opinion. He didn't do that very much. We we noticed, we were together for like most of the speech. We noticed a couple times where we were just like, well, come on, man, don't, don't do that. Something like, you know, oh, democracy has prevailed. Yeah. Has it? You know, it has for this moment. But are we really confident that it has prevailed for the next 10 years? I don't, I'm not. Um, and I don't think any of us should. We can't take that for granted. And then sometimes there's this hallowed ground. And you're like, is, are our government buildings hallowed ground? I struggle with that a little bit, to be honest. But he didn't do very much of that, no. to his great credit. Yeah. Um, so the one thing that stuck out to me there were probably a few, but this one stuck out maybe the most. He said, we must reject a culture in which facts themselves are manipulated and even manufactured. Recent weeks and months have taught us a painful lesson. There is truth and there are lies. Lies told for power and for profit. And each of us has a duty and a responsibility as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders leaders who have pledged to honor our constitution and protect our nation to defend the truth and to defeat the lies. Um, I think that is the main thing we're up against right now. 
in our politics and in our culture. So when he says, for example, as citizens, as Americans, and especially as leaders, and then he talks about leaders who's pledged to honor our Constitution and protect our nation, that he can leave that part out as far as I'm concerned because I want the leaders in our communities, and particularly I think of um, pastors because those are the leaders that I'm in relationship with, uh, leaders in our denomination as well. They need to step up. And this was his call to do it. And they yep. need to step up and they need to speak truth in all things, right? And s- call lies, lies. We just haven't been doing that. In some ways, we haven't been doing it for decades. But more specifically, over the last four or five years, we didn't do it because we thought we could just skate by and it would be okay. It's not okay. Right. And it's not going to be okay unless those of us who know what's true for a variety of reasons, education that we've had, what are the other ways? I was trying to think of this on the way here, to be honest. You know, people have been falling into conspiracy theories and they've been falling for lies told by Donald Trump. And I don't know for sure why, right? But I meet all kinds of people who know better, but don't speak out. And those are the people that, I, that I'm imploring. You have to risk it. We need it. Yeah. We have to do it. We have to engage this fight against lies, against bad faith arguments. And we have to do it at all levels. We have to do it when we talk about politics. We have to do it when we talk about the Bible. We just haven't done that either. For right. years. Right. I think for me, the, um, well, the, let me say um, two things. The first one is I think that most people, and especially people who are upfront people who are in the, in the public eye, no matter at what level, have an unhealthy need to be loved. I remember a good friend of mine, Dave Breen is his name, and he passed away some years ago. And um, I remember him saying to me one time, um, Marlon, the one thing I can't handle is my congregation not loving me. Mm -hmm. And I thought about that when he said it, and I thought about it many, many times after. That's right. That was the one thing that... I would have said, too, is I can't stand the thought of my congregation not loving me. And so the risk of speaking the truth mm-hmm. is that you may lose respect or you may lose affection from people that you want mm-hmm. to love you. And it's a real risk for pastors. And or they may not, leave because they got lots of other places they can go, right? Right. And but even that, that too is a is a painful thing for yeah. people. But because I've had that, I've had people leave churches that I've served, people that I loved, and who I thought loved me, who left. And I have another. I have another good friend who's a pastor, and he's got four or five families that are walking away from his church because of his unwillingness to uh, to speak out about um, issues around LGBTQ. He's not speaking either way. He said, I just, here's where I'm at. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And um, that's not good enough for them. And it's painful. Yeah. So, and he's not even speaking out about it. Okay. He's just answering their question honestly when they ask him, where do you stand? And he's saying, I have no problem with gay marriage. I won't preach that and I won't speak that and I won't make that public. But you asked me a direct question and I'm not going to lie to you. Right. And and thinking that, okay, that should be enough. It's not. They left. Yeah. And that's painful. So so even they're speaking truth in what should have been a safe environment mm-hmm. was difficult. So the need to be loved. Okay. That's huge. The other problem that I see in the church, and um, you and I have talked about this more and, more and once, is I don't think the church is about truth as much as it's about winning. Mm-hmm. I think that what Trump said over and over again, and again, Trump just speaks for the evangelical church world. He He's not the problem. The evangelical church world is the problem. The white, he, white evangelical. The white evangelical yeah. church world. That's the problem. He just... He's just the one we can look at and say, oh, you're, you're saying it, right? They won't say it. He, You're saying it. Yeah, no innuendo with him. Yeah, no, right. So, I mean, I, I mean, you got to appreciate that part of it. Winning, if you win, you're right. If you lose, you're wrong. Mm. So winning's everything. If you win, you're right. If you lose, you're wrong. So if I win, I'm right. If I, It doesn't matter if I'm right. If I win, I'm right. Yeah. And I think many churches put winning ahead of truth. And winning means being bigger. Winning means having great programs. Winning means attracting new members. That's winning. Winning is being the biggest church in town or one of the biggest churches in town. Or right. That's winning. Or the buzz, having the buzz. Having the something. buzz. And I've been there. I've been on that side of it. And I know how that feels. I mean, um, so I think part of the reason pastors hide behind I'm not political. Mm. We don't preach politics because we aren't political. And they hide behind that because if they don't, they would have to take a stand. And if they take a stand, they might lose people, might lose giving, might lose whatever. And um, then they don't win. And if they don't win, that reflects worse on them than anything else. The need to be loved and the competitiveness. I was a football coach before I was a pastor. There's no difference between football coaches and pastors. There's no difference. Both are exactly the same personality type. They are competitive. We are competitive. We want to win. And most of us, most pastors, male pastors, are also filled with this toxic masculinity. Yeah. The need to be muscular and tattooed. I mean, you know, stand up there with a tight shirt on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, because that's the manly image, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's just lots of things wrong with all of that. But to be fair, it's hard not to slip into that. I wanted to know for 20 years that was me. Right. I um. I also think, and this is it's easy to forget but to to not feel the absolute need to speak about politics means you're in a position of privilege 
Yeah, right. That, that's really good. Your community, if if your community can be like, hey, never talk about politics, no problem. It's because the current structure yeah. of things is not terribly problematic for your community, which means you're in a privileged community, which makes perfect sense if you're white and evangelical because you still hold so much cultural and institutional power all over the place, right? And so, yeah, we just avoid politics because um, we control them, well, mostly. I, and if we don't, even when we don't, right? I don't know, maybe now we might be getting to a place, but, you know, I, the, the Obama years, even, Democrats were like not wanting to alienate the white evangelical community too much. Right. Let's be careful. Let's right. try, right? All that kind of stuff. We're just now getting to a place where people are starting to have critiques of the white evangelical um, voting block and the white evangelical culture in the community. We're, we're just dipping our toes in that over the last, say, you know, well, it's come in stark. It, it's become really stark with Trump because we we saw how damaging that was and that that's his base. I mean, something like. I, I know that 70-some percent of the people who voted for him in 2016 were white Christians, and then the bulk of those were white evangelicals. And then to see him as their main guy, right, made a lot of people upset but also feel like this is way more dangerous than we thought it was yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah. So I, I just want to point that out, that it's a, well, it's a privilege pick, to not have to care about yeah, politics. Yeah, let me piggyback on that. I wrote a post, a blog post. I have a blog marlonvis.com, marlonpvis, no, just marlonvis.com. And um, I wrote a post about it doesn't matter who wins, everything, the sun's going to get up in the morning, um, God, you know, all this kind of stuff, right? And um, I thought it was really good. And, boy, my people who read my that post loved it because mm. they're all like me, and they're like, oh, thank you. I needed that perspective. Thank you, Marlon. Thank you. Yeah, I needed to be reminded that, you know, Basically, God is on the throne, even though that's not what I meant to say, because I don't—I hate that. Yeah, it kind of was that, right? And I got a—I got a comment from a guy named Eric, and I won't say his last name, although I, he wouldn't care. Frenchman, who's a, a American citizen as well, and he's a fierce justice warrior. I mean, I don't even want warrior. I won't use warrior. I don't want to use that. Advocate. Advocate. He's just fierce. And, I mean, I met him in Jerusalem, and, oh, my God, I love this man. He's, like, into these places where his life is in jeopardy. Doctors without borders. He's a doctor, and he's also got a Ph.D. from John Hopkins. Mm. He's, like, brilliant. Yeah. He puts a simple post. Easy for you to say, Marlon. You won't lose your health care if Trump wins another four years. You won't have to worry about your children getting breakfast and lunch at school if Trump is elected for four more years. Easy for you to say, oh, my God, it was like an arrow to my heart. Yeah. And I'm like, thank you. I right away commented, thank you, Eric, man, that's exactly right. Mm -hmm. That's right. We don't think about it. You know, Trump's four years didn't affect me in any way financially. Right. Not in any way. I didn't lose anything. I might probably gained. I don't know. Yeah. Probably did all right. Right. That that's because I'm white, male, 
educated mm-hmm. and have had had my way for 72 years. Right. And still. And we're that the most thing we're afraid of is losing that. And and I think that's 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 the big problem. Yeah. With white people is especially that we can't say I'm okay to share. I'm willing to share. Where did I who who talked about sharing was it the pastor in his prayer? Could be. I was going to mention him just yeah. to kind of, I think, yeah, to close in terms of time. And also we want to do something, some particular things where we talk about um, the Christian community and sort of what we're seeing and where where we want to challenge, uh, particularly the white Christian community. So the poet laureate who spoke was Amanda Gorman. And um, I just will recommend it to you. Listen to her. She does a great job of reciting her poem. Not only are the words beautiful, but she does a great job reciting it. But um, my dad and I were all also both really struck by the AME, African Methodist Episcopal. I'm trying, The E is lost on me a little bit, but He's a pastor uh, known by Joe Biden personally. He gave the benediction, and um, we were pretty blown away by it. It was just beautifully done. Um, And so I'm going to just read one part of it. Uh, Let me mention a couple of things that are in it. First of all, he mentions that, he says, on these hallowed grounds where slaves labored to build this shrine and citadel to liberty and democracy. So mentioning that slaves helped build that was powerful. He mentioned um, indigenous Native Americans uh, in his benediction, which I also thought was powerful. But overall, it was a benediction rooted in common humanity he did not make it a specifically christian benediction which i also just really really appreciated it was clearly coming from the christian tradition but i think it was laced with enough common themes that even a humanist or judaism or hinduism or islam could appreciate And the one thing he says is we need you, he's speaking to God, we need you for in you we discover our common humanity. And then he goes on to discuss um, we will seek out the wounded and bind their wounds. We will seek healing for those who are sick and diseased. He says this, we will seek rehabilitation beyond correction, which I thought was such a great line, right? Because we're so addicted to punishment in this country. Yeah, it's awful, but we are addicted to punishment. And um, next time we'll we'll talk a little bit of why why do we think that is and how is it that evangelical, white evangelical Christianity specifically embodies that in their politics and in their theology. You thought maybe he said something about resources or what did we think it was 
so he said this maybe this is what you're thinking of. he said a couple of things um we shall no longer raise up weapons against one another but use rather use our resources for the national good and to become a beacon of life and goodwill to the world then he said and we will become greater stewards of our environment preserving the land reaping from it a sustainable harvest and securing its wonder and miracle giving power for generations to come which it might have been somebody else but it's the same sentiment right he 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 wrapped up all these beautiful things social justice caring about the environment um honestly wrestling with the past of america by mentioning native americans and mentioning slaves um and then in the end and i'll just end with this he says in the strong name of our collective faith amen thanks for listening everybody we'll see you next week